for endless days, we will sing your praise. Oh Lord, oh Lord our God, oh Lord our God, our Savior Jesus Christ, there is only one God and it is you that we serve, it is your name that we declare above all, in all, through all, and for all, our lives for you alone, oh God. Our homes for you alone, oh God. This church, your church, for you alone, oh God. That is our declaration. We bless your name. And we say thank you for all you've done. Thank you for who you are. God, in your mercy, would you continue to manifest your presence among us today? Help us love you more today. Please, please. God, whatever is on our hearts right now, I pray, whatever we came from this week, whatever distractions are there, whatever the enemy has been pounding us with this week, I pray right now we would cast those anxieties on you, humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord casting our anxieties on you because you care for us. You care. You're a God who sees. You're a God who knows. You're a God who cares because you're a God who is love. May we know your love today, your power, your conviction, your strength, your refreshment, your kindness to meet us where we're at. Would you do that? And would you find a church that just so quickly humbles themselves under your word? that doesn't kick back on it in pride or think it's for someone else, it's for us. Help us, Lord, guard my mouth from error. Say what you want to say and build your house today. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. Church, let's open up our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 4 to 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. And the ushers are coming forward right now uh, to hand out a copy of God's word. If you do not have one with you, just put your hand up. And we want to put a copy in front of you so you can continue to follow along and study it with us. It's on page 87 of those Bibles that are being handed out right now. And if you do not have a copy of God's word at home, then please keep that as a gift from us so you can continue to study God's word at home on your own time as well. Well, we're in the middle of a series right now that's taking us to Easter, and it's entitled God's Heart for the Home. And the purpose of this series uh, is that it's answering the question of what are God's desires for the home? What does a house being built by the Lord look like? Not just for the biological family, but for the church family, the, the community as well. What does God promise to bless and give support to in the home? What's his blueprint for it? And so this is the fourth message in this series. If you recall, a few weeks ago, we kicked it off with um, Psalm 127, that it said, unless the Lord builds the house, it's builders labor in vain, and it showed God's heart for our dependency. And then the following week was out of the great commandment, Matthew 22, and it showed us God's heart for our love. And then last week, Pastor Ted unpacked God's heart for our words through Proverbs 18.21, where he said, life and death are in the power of the tongue, 
And all of that is leading to our topic and building into our topic today, so crucial, and it's God's heart for discipleship. God's heart for discipleship. What God's heart for the home? It's a heart for discipleship. So let's get some clarity to make sure we're on the same page here. What is discipleship? Discipleship broken down just means this, to make disciples. To make disciples. Now, let's make sure we have clarity on what's a disciple. Well, the Greek word for disciple, matateu, which we see all throughout the New Testament and paralleled in the Old Testament, is this. You'll see it on the screen. A disciple is one who progressively learns the word of God, that is, is trained in the word of God, and is obedient to the lifestyle it requires. Not only trained in the word of God to know it, it's not just one who claims to follow Christ because they know a bunch of facts, but it's belief and practice, the obedience piece in the power of the Spirit progressively. And why, is God, why does God have such a heart for discipleship for the home? Here's why this is important. Because discipleship is the greatest mission God has given the home to fulfill. Discipleship is the greatest mission that God has given the home and the church to fulfill. To see one generation after another rooted and built up in him to advance his kingdom through for his glory. If you will remember, that's why our mission as you walk in the door today, I pray you don't take that for granted from Matthew 28, 18 to 20. The last thing Jesus says to his disciples, the most important message he leaves them with is their mission. And he says, go therefore and make what? disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, greatest promise, like, amazing, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a comfort, eh? Amen? The presence of Jesus with us, but there's a problem here. We see the mission, we hear the mission, but the problem is, most Christian homes and churches have no idea how to do this. In fact, according to latest stats, 85% of those claiming to be Christian homes know that it is their primary responsibility for discipleship, and yet 67% of that 85% has no idea how to do it. This is not something we can afford to drop the ball on. If it matters to God, it has to matter to us. And so as a result of this lack of knowledge, this lack of obedience, more families, more children are being discipled in the world than in the word. Just look around us. If you take a look, it doesn't take long for you to see that the result of this is that we are starting to fill our homes, we start to fill our churches with what the world says we should give our attention to, what the world says we should invest our time in, what the world says our efforts need to go towards, what the world says our finances should be directed towards, what the world says our affections should be towards. And just look around. How's the family doing because of that? It's crumbling. We were doing family devotions last night, and I heard a stat this week, 35,000 children in our own province have no parents to call their own. How's it working? 
but God has a different plan. He gives us a mission to make disciples, and he's given a blueprint of discipleship for the home that will endure no matter what comes against it. No matter what happens in culture, this will stay strong. And here in our text, we see three marks of discipleship that we must increasingly grow in and commit to in the home, our biological homes, but in the church as well. If God is to build the home to endure and we are to be faithful to the mission he's given for you. Ready, guys? Let's get our pens ready. But before we do that, let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Look at this declaration Moses kicks it off with. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, not an option, I command you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, the first mark we see here in these five verses is this. A house of discipleship is a house of declaration. It's a house of declaration. It declares there is only one God it will serve. There is only one God it will serve. And the key question, the key truth that we are confronted with from this part of the text is this. Our allegiance is to be to God alone what is taking his place. Our allegiance is to be to God alone what is taking his place. Look at verse 4. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Let's get some context here. It's almost 40 years now since Israel has left Egypt in the Exodus. It's almost 40 years. And the entire first generation, except Caleb and Joshua and Moses, has died, as God said they would, for their disobedience, their lack of faith, and not taking the promised land sooner. And they are encamped right now on the east side of the Jordan River. Here's a pic. In a place called Shittim. They're on the east side of the Jordan River on the plains of Moab. They are across from Jericho. And they're poised to enter the promised land. To have a nation, a home of their own. Now the book of Deuteronomy itself, this takes place. Sometimes you guys think I have long sermons. Hey, this whole book almost is one sermon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. There you go. All right? But here's the reality. This takes place during the last few weeks of Moses' life. Moses is about to die. And it's mostly one sermon or farewell speech that Moses is giving to the people before he dies. Deuteronomy, literally, it's the last book of the Pentateuch. It literally summarizes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. He's bringing it all together. And the focus of Deuteronomy, the focus of Moses' sermon, was to lay out God's implications and commands for the people as they entered the land that he promised to them. The land of Canaan, modern-day Israel, 
And so he's laying out the implications of what this means and the commands he's given them. These are words of both warning and wisdom. And through them, God tells us what he's promising to bless and build their nation through. What he's promising to bless and build their home through if they would be faithful to obey them. If I could sum up that, I'd say this. If they stayed faithful to the Lord in these things, He would not only bless and build the nation in their own generation, but in the coming generations also. You want to know something pretty cool, loved ones? God's promise to build the house hasn't changed. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. So in verse 4 there, Moses starts out with the word here. Here. The Hebrew word for that means, listen, pay attention to this, loved ones. You're getting ready to go into the promised land, and it's going to be flowing with milk and honey, and there's going to be so many things to distract your attention. There's going to be so many other things that are going to clamor for your allegiance. You hear this before anything else. Before anything else. Hear this truth that will set the foundation and trajectory for all else that will follow. And the truth is this, and it's the same truth we must hear this morning, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. The Lord, the word there, Yahweh, our God is one. It is a declaration of allegiance that declares there is only one God and Yahweh is him. He is to be the object of your wholehearted and undivided worship. Your wholehearted and undivided allegiance and devotion. If this home is going to be built to last... It will not work any other way if that allegiance is divided. It can't. Because God will oppose the proud. And the truth, you have to understand the context. This is why context is so key. The Israelites are entering Canaan where they'd be tempted to worship the false idols that the Canaanites had made for themselves like Baal and Asherah. God knows what's waiting for them. He knows they can't hold up on their own. He knows their nation's going to be divided and their nation's going to be this if they don't stay true. Because the Canaanite worship was what we call polytheistic. They said, oh, you can worship this God and this God and this God. Don't we see this all around today? Oh, we have this. There's some religions today that have over 30 million gods. Just to make sure you've got every angle of your life covered. I can worship this, but I can worship... Yeah, I can worship Jesus. I can worship the true God, but I can have this on the side. I'll put a little Baal on the side. So I'll set an altar for God here and an altar for Baal here. Just look around today at our homes, loved ones. Are we not tempted with this same thing? Only instead of the Canaanite gods of Baal and Asherah, Our small g-gods that we give our allegiance to have become things like money, possessions, grades, relationship 
or family status. Our position in the church or in the workforce. And ultimately, all of this is our pride has become our God. And instead of our homes declaring that our allegiance is to God alone, so often, I have to fight against this literally every single day, many, 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 many times. I'm right with you on it, loved ones. Instead of them declaring that our allegiance is to God alone, so often our homes resemble allegiance to the attitudes, actions, expectations, and values of the world. What we value, what we praise, what we honor, what we allow into our homes. And instead of being our one God, the Lord has become one of many that we try to serve with a divided allegiance. I'm going to serve God, but I'm going to serve my money too. And then I'm going, to put, I'm going to serve my job so I can put God on the hold. And then I'll fit Jesus in around. Who's at the center? Is the Lord at your center in everything as an outflow of your worship to him? Or is your job at the center, your agenda at the center, your money at the center, what you want to do at the center? And you'll just kind of fit God in on the side. Where's your allegiance? Maybe some of you are like, well, I want to rush this process and I want to get this decision done. And you're trying and trying and trying. And you start worshiping the outcome. You start worshiping your desires your own way instead of, well, God, you fit in on my agenda. Instead of saying, Lord, help me to submit to yours. Where's your allegiance? What is it to? Who is it to? See, because here's what we must understand is so crucial. What we put first, and this is what Moses is exhorting them in. What you and I put first is always going to order the rest. What you and I put first in our homes will always order the rest. What you and I put first in this church will always order the rest. And you'll see this on the screen. Whatever you say has the authority in your home will become the priority of your home. Whatever you say has the authority will become the priority. You will want it. You will pursue it. You think that you can't live without it. Wants start to become needs. Be very careful. Whatever you say has the authority will become the priority. So question, just ask. Honestly, loved ones, we're in this together. Be honest with yourself. What about you? Look at this past week. Look at your schedule. Maybe look at this last month. What declarations of allegiance are you making in your home? Does your lifestyle, do your entertainment choices, the music that is on your shelf, the books that are on your shelf, the movies that are in your DVD cupboard, the Netflix that you are turning on, does that mark an allegiance to Christ or an allegiance to the world? What about... Look at this past week. Does your hunger for God's word, is it increasing? Does your use of time, making the best use of time, or are we just flittering it away? In what God says is the best use of our time? The conversations you have, who do they reflect an allegiance to? For so many of us, it's ourself. We so love to posture ourselves, don't we? 
How about this, the values we uphold in our home? How about the fight against sin? Is the fight against sin in our lives, loved ones, is it reflecting an increasing allegiance to God alone through his power? Or are we making excuses for it? And is our home declaring a greater allegiance to the small g gods of this world? Just ask. How do I know? Ask him. Here's a good one. If you have children, ask your kids. Can you tell what we value most in this home? What is it? What would they say? What would your spouse say? What would your friends say? Just ask. My conversations, is it about me? This is why small group is so good for this. I just, small group is so good. You get men and women speaking into your life they, because we can't see what we don't see. We all have blind spots. You need godly men and women to speak into your life. See, this is where discipleship starts. A house of discipleship is a house of declaration. It only serves one God. And every other part of our lives is ordered by him. And you say, well, wait a sec. What does godly order look like? Praise the Lord, Moses shows us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What does a house, what does a life ordered by God look like? Because we see as an overflow from a declaration to God, we see a house of discipleship as a house of demonstration. It displays our love for God above all. Here's what an ordered home looks like that is being built by the Lord. And the question we are confronted by is this. Who I love is shown through how I live. Who I love is shown through how I live. Am I loving God above all? Look at verses 5 to 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, you shall. Notice there's seven imperatives in these five verses. God means business. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. See, after reminding the people of their, that their allegiance must be to God alone, Moses then gives God's central command that all others hang on or depend on all other 613 that he gives them here. Hangs on this one. To love the Lord with all of their heart, soul, and might. If I could sum that up, he's talk, he uses those different capacities that we attribute to the life To show it is from our complete and total being. Every part of who we are. All we are and all we have. Is to go to loving the Lord. And if you recall from Matthew 22, 37 a few weeks ago. uh, The Greek word for love there, agapeo. When it's talking towards the Lord means this. Means having an affectionate reverence and not flippancy. Three things. Number two, it means living in a prompt obedience and not delayed obedience. And number three, it means gratitude for one has received and not greed. And here it is echoed again. You think God thinks this is important? See, let's break this down. Every thought, every feeling, every desire, and every part of our identity, all that we are, Everything we do in every second of our lives, everything upon which our heart is set and our mind is captivated by, 
will be an expression of our love for God in these ways. And we will love nothing else more than him. Nothing else gets our reverence. Nothing else gets our prompt obedience. And nothing else is worthy of that gratitude. I'm thinking we need a savior right about now, don't you? Yeah, good thing God gave us one. Hang on. And Moses, Moses tells them that this love is fueled, what do he say in verse 6? By having God's word on their heart. By having God's word. God's word fuels our love for God. And what he means by have it on your heart, the Hebrew there means it is to be perpetually on our mind, studying it, knowing it, meditating upon it, and understanding and obeying it. It's not, now, 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 what Moses is not saying here is we, be, we have to become all legalistic about this, okay? He's not talking about doing these things and having God's word on our heart and loving him with all that we are out of legalism, but out of, out of a growing love for the Lord himself. Because here's the truth, loved ones, and many of us in this room have probably tried and failed again and again and again. Why doesn't this last? Why can't it just, why am I devoted? Why, why is this? Here's the truth. Look on the screen. True obedience is only possible out of a response of love to God, not a legalistic requirement to keep for God. If all your devotions are in the morning is a legalistic requirement, it will not last. And you will heap expectations on your children. You will heap expectations on your spouse and the people that you know that are totally unrealistic and will crush them. Look what the Pharisees did. True obedience has to come out of a response of love for God, not out of legalism to keep something for God. A growing love for God keeps you growing in a love for his word and obedience to it. Now think about this. How radical is this from the world? Think about how radical is this? A love for God... A love for God compels us to get up every morning and spend time with him and not give him the leftovers of the day. How do I know that? Psalm 5.3 says, In the morning you hear my voice. I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. If I'm watching the life of a true believer of Jesus Christ do this, I'm asking, you went to bed at 10. Why are you getting up at 5? Sleep in. Love the sheets more than love the Savior. It makes no sense. Why would you sacrifice two great hours of sleep? Uh, you're running on a whole different level. That's the idea. A love for God compels us and says, I'm tired, but hey, my Savior gave his life for me and he's entrusted me with the word and he's waiting to meet with me. Loved ones, he's waiting to meet with you. The king of the universe is waiting with an unconditional love for you. Will you listen to me? Will you come to me? Taste and see. A love for God compels us to, to fight the temptation of sin in his power when it comes and to not make excuses. Yeah, I know i got to deal with that. I'll get around to it later. 
A love for God compels us to get it right in the power of his Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I'm being tempted with this again. We drop to our knees. We lift our voice to him and say, God, help. You've provided a way of escape here. I don't see it. Show me it. It's there. That's what a love for God compels us to. A love for God compels us to walk in humility and submit to his authority instead of walking in our own pride. The cry of one who's growing in their love for the Lord is always, Jesus, you must increase, I must decrease. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. I'm not going to fight against you. That's one who's growing in the love for the Lord and not self. A love for God compels us to lay down our lives for others as he has for us. John 15, 13. Jesus says, greater love has none than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. It's you before me. God before me. You before me. A love for God compels us, here it is, to teach others about him. I love Acts 4.20. One of my favorite verses. It says in the disciples, they, it says, we cannot help but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. You do what you want to to us, but we can't help but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard because we are so filled and fueled and fired up with love for our Savior who gave his life for us and came down as fully God and fully man and rescued us from the brokenness and darkness and sin and slavery of this world. And this is the greatest act of love of all time. And you, because I love you, you need to hear about it. And I'm going on speaking. I'm going on speaking. That's what a growing love for God compels us to do. There's a growing urgency. Because you start to love what God loves. You start to be burdened for what burdens his heart. What matters to him starts to matter to you. So question, are you growing in your love for the Lord? How do I know? Is his word increasingly, increasingly, you don't ever hit your word of God ceiling. Doesn't exist. Are you increasingly, is it increasingly on your heart, making it a priority to spend time with him, reading it, abiding with him? Jesus says, John 15, 5, he says, abide with me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What do you think you can do without me? Are we taking that seriously? A growing love for God sure does. How about this? Are we taking time just to meditate on it? Not like, okay, okay, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay, cool, gotta get to work. Really, really, really? Give it a few more minutes. Give it a few more minutes. Meditate. Pray. Pray on it. Journal it. Live in obedience by his spirit to it. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he's given us, oh, we need to do that. So where do you need to start in your own home? Dads, moms, grandparents, singles, young adults, where, where do you need to start this? I think one of the greatest prayers we could ever pray is, Lord, help me to love you more today. Maybe some of us just start there. Start there. Because we can't do it without his power in us through Jesus Christ. And this is why this is so important. Before you can even think about what Moses is about to exhort us in next. This needs to be in place. Why? You'll see it on the screen. 
the greatest thing your family needs from you is your personal holiness in the Lord. Hands down. Not the paycheck. Not the stuff. Not your vacation. Not your status. The greatest thing your family needs from you, men, is your personal holiness in the Lord. The greatest thing, men and women, that this church needs from you is your personal holiness in the Lord. Because that, as you grow in that, God's power grows in and through you. His glory is seen. His presence is manifested. His power changes lives, including yours. See, this is the root of discipleship through demonstration, modeling a growing love for the Lord in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions. Because our kids, our family members, they can tell when we're faking it, right? This is why one of the greatest, like, rubs against Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Say one thing, but you live another. Right? And here's the truth that comes from this. Before we get to our last point is this. You and I can't teach what we don't know. We can't teach God's word if we don't know God's word. And we, you and I can't lead where we don't go. You can't teach what you don't know and you can't lead where you don't go. If we're not following the Lord, how are you going to lead others to him? You can definitely lead to a place you've never been before. Just ask Joshua, just ask Moses. He can lead there, but you can't lead to a place you're not willing to go. You cannot lead your family. You cannot disciple your family in greater holiness in the Lord and lead them to Jesus if you're not going there. It won't work. That's where legalism starts to come in. And I'm not talking about perfection here, loved ones. Trust me, just maybe don't ask my kids after the service. But if you did, hypothetically, <laughs> listen, I am not perfect at any of this by any stretch, okay? But it's not about perfection. It's about perseverance in the power of the Holy Spirit. Step by step, and this is so important because a house of discipleship is a house of declaration. There's only one God it serves. It's a house of demonstration, increasingly displaying a love for God in our actions, in our words, our thoughts, above all. And lastly, here's why this is important. Because a house of discipleship is a house of diligent instruction. Diligent instruction. It teaches our kids God's truth in all. And the question we are confronted with, and then this last point is this. God's word is to be central in the home. Is it in mine? God's word is to be central in the home. Is it in mine? Look at verses 7 to 9. You shall, imperative again, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates." 
See, here Moses tells the people that they are commanded not to keep the truth of God to themselves. We weren't saved to keep it to ourselves, but to ensure that it is, notice the word he used there to describe it, you shall diligently teach it to your children. The, the, the Hebrew phrase there for teach diligently means this. I was so blessed by this this week. It means to sharpen. It's the picture of one sharpening a weapon. Awesome. Notice in Psalm 127, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children in one's youth. Arrows that are dull have no impact. You will sharpen them. The picture, the blade, the weapon, or the tool, it means to teach God's word. When it says diligently, look at the picture. Teach God's word clearly. Don't be like, well, I guess that could mean that. It could mean this. It could mean this. It could... No, no, no. Teach it clearly. Teach it precisely is what it means. Teach it precisely. Why? Because the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. As it is clearly exposed to, the, to your children, that truth, it pierces bone from air. It's alive. It will bear the fruit, but we need to teach it precisely as God intended. Carefully, intentionally, and not haphazardly. And Moses tells them how they're to be doing this. I love God doesn't leave us alone. Aren't you glad for that, loved ones? He just doesn't leave us alone. He goes, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Make sure you write these down, loved ones. He tells them they are to be diligent in making it an intentional part. Get this. An intentional part of everyday life. An intentional part of everyday life. Look at verse 7b. He says, you shall teach them diligently, precisely to your children, look at this, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Everyday life, when you're sitting in your home, the conversations that you have around the table, when you open up God's word as a family, around the table, just be intentional with it. Read a passage of scripture and talk about it. Teach them it. Intentional when you're sitting in your living room, having a conversation and, and your kids are talking about their day. Your spouse is talking about their day. And, and then you bring God's word into that to shape their worldview. When something bad happens at school or, or in the neighborhood, someone said a mean thing, someone did something, you could say, well, here's what the gospel through Jesus Christ gives us so we don't have to sit under the condemnation in that. You bring them to God's word. You're shaping a biblical worldview in them. Because here's the reality, you want to show your children, we want to show our children that God's word, this living and active word, which will endure for eternity, will speak and does speak to literally every situation they will encounter in their lives. It's right here. They don't have to go to Facebook. Newsflash. That was a joke, loved ones. They don't have to go to Twitter. They don't have to. It's right here. The word of God is sufficient. God didn't miss out on anything. Be like, whoops, I didn't know the world was going in that direction. Should have put that in. He didn't miss anything. Show them how it speaks to their situations. Here's another one. When you're watching a movie, when you're watching a movie together and you see something that doesn't line up with what God's word says and you Literally, this is what we do. Every time we have a family movie night, if there's something going on in the movie, I'm like, I hold the remote. My kids are like, Dad, give me the remote. I'm like, no thanks. Pause the movie. What's going on right here? 
Is this what, in line with what God says? You should treat a woman like. You should say to a friend. Does God really want you to stuff your face like this guy? Talk about it. What does God's word say? So that they start to have a biblical worldview in every facet of their lives. They can start to discern truth from error, right from wrong. And some of the times, like even with the, with the TV shows or movies, sometimes what we'll do is we'll have a movie night, and then the next morning I'll do what, what I call an ask anything in devotions about that movie. Bring your questions, guys. What do you got going on for that movie? What, what are you wondering about happened in there? Just ask anything. And then we go to God's word and we open it up and speaks to that question. It gets pretty interesting sometimes, the ask anything. Got to be careful. All right? <laughs> All right? But ask anything. Bring it on. That gets pretty interesting. Cool, though. All right? This is, this is what we do. Now, now, look where else he says. Keep going. You shall teach them, talk of them when you sit in your house. And here it is. When you walk by the way. These are just your daily activities outside the home. So you've got in the home. Now you walk by the way outside of the home, guys. Daily activity, walks, playgrounds, school pickup, trips to the store, whatever. Instead of dropping down the DVD player just so your kids will be quiet when you pick them up from school, push that back up and say, tell me about your day. And it won't be long, I guarantee it, before the Holy Spirit gives you an on-ramp to speak biblical truth into what they face that day. It won't be long, but will we put up the DVD player to see it happen? And I get we get tired, love. I get it. But God has promised to give us all we need to do it, if we're willing. And he promises to bless it and build the home through it. You know, when you're on vacation, summer vacation, Lord willing, it will come here one day. All right? But here's the reality. Summer vacation coming up. I remember last summer I was preaching down in Naples, Florida. And on the way down there, we're on this bridge in the Gulf of Mexico. And we, of course, we get in the middle of a tropical storm. Great. You can't see a thing. The rain is just coming. The palm trees are like this. Like, you don't know if there's a car 20 feet or two feet in front of you. So we just stop in the middle of this bridge. We're just stopped. Water, water, bridge. Can't see. So the, the temperature in the, in the van, even though we're in Florida, it starts going up. And the kids start getting nervous. I start getting nervous. So I was like, hey, isn't it awesome Guys, to know that the same God who's commanding this storm right now has promised to watch over us and will only allow to happen to us what will bring him the glory. Isn't that rocking? Dad, are you nuts? <laughs> but you know what? They still talk about it. I'm good with that. Trusting in God's sovereignty in the middle of a storm? Are you kidding me? How will that serve them? I can't see how we're going to go through. But I remember that time. I remember what God's word says. It's all around us, guys. Look. Just look. Let's not get caught into this. Well, it has to be. I have to open up God's word around the table all the time. Yeah, that's part of it. But it's so much more. It's a worldview, guys. We don't want our kids to grow up segmenting. Well, this is my... God thing, and then there's everything else. It's every part permeating every part of our lives. And the sharper they become, the more they can stand in the face of the adversity that is coming. 
And then, and then you look at where it says, go on in 7b. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. This is called, in Hebrew, it's called a merism, which points to one end and the other, and it means everything in between two. Your entire day. First part, last part of the day, and every time in between. Hey, can I just exhort you guys? I know bedtime. Sometimes you just want to get your kids in bed if they go to bed, and, and you just want to get them in and then just like crash out on the couch. Here's what I'm going to say, though, loved ones. Don't ever underestimate bedtime prayers. Taking the time to pray over your children. And this hit me like a ton of bricks, even this past week, of course. I'm preaching on this this week. Of course it's going to come up. One of my boys in the middle of the night just starts screaming, Having a night tear and his stomach is just like in knots. And I walk in there, I'm like, are you okay, little man? What do you need? He goes, Dad, I just need you to pray with me and I'll be good. That's all the Lord. That's like, we prayed over him. Stomach stuff goes away. Night tear's gone. That guy's asleep before we finish praying. But he knew. There's only one thing I need right now and it's the power of God. Will your kids know that? Is that who they will turn to? Because they see you turning to them. Taking these moments to instruct them in having a biblical worldview and how God's word speaks to literally everything in their lives. And, and here's what I'm going to exhort you in as well, loved ones. I know some, many of us, we've been so blessed with so many young families with young kids, right? But here's the thing. Don't say, well, when they get to be 12 and they can understand it, then we'll start teaching them. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon said it this way. It has stuck with me for years. He said, he said, teach your children early because your children begin to sin early. Would you agree? That's the reality. Teach your children early. Don't get caught looking at the size of their height when God's looking at the size of the heart, the capacity that he's given them to understand the living and active word of God, which literally can save their lives at any moment. Just don't let, don't let sin fester for years before like, okay, now you're old enough to understand. Let's open God's word. And then you're surprised they don't want to hear it. Because they've been discipled in the world for the first 12 years of their life. And then verse 8, look at this. Verse 8, Moses goes on to say this. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Moses tells the people what they must do to ensure they're ready for these opportunities. Parents, to ensure we are ready. Church family, harvest kids workers, church family. I was so blessed the other day just seeing one of our, one of our just sitting with kids in the hallway, yakking with them, talking about what God's teaching. Just in the hallway, came in last week. I just, I, here's how we're ready for those opportunities though, loved ones. Moses tells us, he says, we have to bind God's word on our hearts to ourselves in our having it on hand. The, the picture of the hand there that he uses means ready to be used. Ready to be used in the hand. I mean, how many times, I look at this phone, I mean, how many times when our kids are right there, do we just have our phone in our hand instead of God's word on hand to speak into their lives? And don't give me this about, well, there's Bible on your phone. Don't go there. 
You know what I'm talking about. How many times we're just distracted. Instead of having God's word on hand, in the heart. Because we got to have something going on with Jesus if they're going to have something to go from. And having it ready to use on our minds. Look at what he goes on to say. On our minds in a place of perpetual remembrance from our time we spent with it. That's that frontlets piece, he says. Frontlets between your eyes. At the forefront of your mind. So we can speak readily to the situations that arise. Now, I want to be encouraged. Because some of you are like, well, yeah, you got like a seminary degree and stuff. I don't have that. Praise the Lord. God's, is there anything in here about having a seminary? No. Be encouraged, loved ones. I'm going to encourage you with this. Ready? When you look at verses 7 and 8, think of this. Supernatural acts of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Supernatural acts of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. You need to trust and have faith in the Holy Spirit that as you approach that throne of grace with confidence every day, God is equipping you and sharpening you in the process and will put you in the situations where Holy Spirit is going to give you the words in that moment to speak. And even if you don't know chapter and verse, parents, you're like, well, it's Hebrews chapter 3 verse 18 says, I, no, no, no. You say, God's word says this, speaks to this. The gospel helps us deal with that hurt because of this. Bind them. What, is, what, what, what are you binding in your hand right now? Is God's word on hand ready to be used? When those kids get released and there's a tidal wave coming down the hall, are you ready? Are you ready? On the drive home, are you ready when you ask, what did you learn today? And then don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're not alone in this. Lastly, verse 9 says this, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We are to constantly, this is a picture, we are to constantly remember and remind our children and ourselves in our home that God's word has the central place in that home and that it is our final authority that we live by. See, the doorposts and the gates, why that's so important is because those were places of access to the city and the home. And what was proclaimed there was the authority over that city. What was shown there That's why the gate in the city, they had judicial cases there. That was the authority. So if God's word is posted there, it means when someone enters there, they're like, they're under the authority of the Lord. Okay? And so, it just reminds me, you can do this even practically. I I know you might think it's like legalistic or whatever. It's really not. But do you have reminders of God's word around your home? I can't tell you how many times I walk into our living room and there's our picture of sailboats in Deuteronomy 8.2 through this whole church planning process. And it says, remember how the Lord your God has led you all the way. I don't know how many times a day I just stop and look at that and say, when I'm facing something hard, I just say, God, you have led in the past. You will lead through this too. What's on your doorpost? Can someone tell Who has authority in your home? 
So how about you? Is God's word central in your home? Is it your final authority? What is your next step to having it be? Think about the things we just walked through. Because the truth is, and you'll see it on the screen, if we don't disciple our kids, the world will. The world will build your home or the Lord will build your home. What's it going to be, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa? And men, I cannot exhort you enough with the mantle of leadership that God has given you for your home. Just look around this world. What more evidence do you need to take that mantle and say, God, I don't have it figured out and I'm gonna blow it many times, but I trust you. Help me love you more. And as a church, we are committed. This isn't just for the biological. We are taking this seriously as a church. We're committed to support, care for, and partner with you in this mission. You are not alone. You'll see on our website here the first step. Another step we've taken with this. You'll see it on here, guys. We have now added a whole new page on our website. It went live on Saturday. A whole new page on our website under the resources tab on the top right, resources. You click resources and click building the house. And right there, now, go to the next one, guys. You're going to see, an, it's an entire page devoted to all resources for you guys. And we're going to continue to add for that. So parent resources for studying in your own time in the Word. And books on family worship and children's storybook Bibles that you can do with your kids at bedtime or around the table. All of these resources we are now equipping you with and will continue by God's grace to add as we go along because we believe God builds the house to endure and we want to care for you in that, loved ones. And you may say here, right here, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's just, I don't know enough. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I don't know. Hey, you're right. You can't do it alone. But remember, God will not command from us what he's not first willing to do in us. And he sent us his only son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as fully God and fully man. And Jesus Christ lived in perfect allegiance to God the Father. He displayed a perfect love for the Father above all. And he diligently instructed the truth about him. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and rose again three days later so that all who repent of their sin and confess him as their Lord and Savior will have forgiveness of sin, eternal life with him, but ready, 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 will be given the power, love, wisdom, and grace now to live faithfully for him when we draw near to him and call on his name. This is the glorious truth of the gospel that will not fail and will build the house for his glory. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, I thank you that you have given us so clearly our blueprint. You have given us so clearly every single thing we will need to do what you ask and what you say will build the home for your glory. I pray right now 
that each person here, God, you would be examining their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, God. And just very quickly, we'd just be casting those things on you to say, God, my allegiance hasn't been with you. I'm not displaying a love for you above all. I'm not diligently instructing all the kids in this church. I'm not stepping up to do my part. I'm not stepping up at home. God, I pray for not a spirit of condemnation, but a spirit of urgency at a response of a growing love for you. To say, yes, God, we believe you will build the house. Here we are, use us, use us, change us, help us. Help us, God, we need that so much. But we will proclaim the name of the Lord. And by the power of Jesus Christ, we desire to see generation after generation built up and rooted in the glorious gospel. Build this house to endure, we pray. And hear our cry in Jesus' name.